0: Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. Tonight, if the Lord allow, I want to speak on the thought of all the feels. For the last few weeks that I've been here on Wednesday nights able to speak, I have been ministering on the thought of your emotion set, your waist set. Anybody else have remember what else I spoke on? Your serve set, that's good. And honestly, we've taken that from mindset. And you use that language quite a bit. But now I want to talk about the feels. And it's not the same thing that we've talked about when it's just dealing with body, soul, and spirit. And remember that you are made of three parts. You you have a spirit. uh, You possess a soul and you live in a body, and you are a triune person now that's a that's just a fancy way to say there's three parts of you okay and and how many know that there is there is. Your spirit man became illuminated, the lights came on at your conversion. when you accepted Jesus Christ as your savior, your spirit man came alive. Remember that God formed you oops. He formed you in eternity, but he birthed you in time. But your spirit man, which was created in eternity, came alive at your conversion. You didn't have knowledge of your spirit. You really didn't understand your spirit. You have been living in your flesh. And how many know we got lots of flesh to go around? Our flesh has bossed us all over the place. Our flesh has made us do things, and we try to blame the devil. We try to blame the way we were raised. We try to ra- blame our race. We try to say it was the German in me. That's why I cussed. It was the Indian in me. That's why I punched holes in walls. Come on now. Don't it. We, don't, we, don't, we don't get offended here. But what I want you to understand is we use those types of because our flesh, and really what it was, was this the soulish part of us. Because the flesh and the spirit do warfare on the battlefield of our soul. One of them is going to, to, to prevail. Amen? Now look at your neighbor and say, I, I know who's prevailing in your life right now. <laughs> it's either your flesh or your spirit but they're duking it out in the soulless realm. And so it's in that soulless realm where we get all of our feelings. And the Lord just had me here. I find myself here a lot because I feel like that God is, the voice that he's given me is to prepare the people of Bethel to not be caught up in their feelings. So I want you to just say out loud so the person next to you can hear it, Without looking at them and say, get out of your feelings. feelings. And I want to read out of John chapter 12 tonight in the New Testament as we talk about all the feels. And I want to hit on the fact that Jesus rode into Jerusalem at his triumphant entry on what we have affectionately called, in fact, this past Sunday, we celebrated Palm Sunday, in honor or in recognition of that particular event. In John chapter 12, and the Bible says in verse 9, when all the people heard of Jesus's arrival, I'm reading from the New Living Translation tonight, when all of the people heard of Jesus's arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. Then the leading priest decided to kill Lazarus too. How do you kill a man that's already been killed? (laughs) For it was because of him that many of the people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. And I thought as I was reading this, George, that the people got wind that he was coming. And they knew that he had raised a man from the dead. And that's enough to make people want to come out and see. Do you know that we are probably one miracle away from having an overflowing house in every service? Because people will flock out to see a miracle. But don't overlook the miracle of salvation. The change of your man. a new. you become a new creation. But the Bible said they flocked to see Lazarus the man Jesus has raised from the dead and decided we're going to kill him again. For it was because of him that many of the people have deserted them and believed in Jesus. And we read on in verse 12. The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city, a large crowd of Passover visitors. You have to remember it was already going into holiday. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches And went down the road to meet him and they shouted, praise God. King James Version said, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the king of Israel. And the Bible says in verse 14, Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it. Fulfilling the prophecy that said, don't be afraid people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. Now, if you were to study the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you would find the occasion where Jesus knew this day was coming. And he sent his disciples to find a colt tied at a place where two ways came together. And he said, If any man asks you, Why are you taking this? you tell them that the master. Hath need of it. And just as Jesus had instructed his disciples, they found this colt tied at a place where two roads come together. And I've preached many times from the thought that unless you release yourself from that tied place, you are still tied to yesterday, but not free to embrace tomorrow. Jesus was fulfilling prophecy and he wrote in on what would appear to be humility in verse 16. Excuse me. His disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But after, say after, after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead. And they were telling others about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign. Then the Pharisees, somebody say church people, religious people, They said to each other, there's nothing we can do. Look, everyone has gone after him. So I want to talk about tonight all the feels, if the Lord will help me. Say all the feels. feels. We live in a society that is driven to feel good all the time. We take more time off work, more vacations, more vacations more leisure times and activities than any generation before us. In order that we might feel better, we use pills to feel good. Even with the smallest discomfort, we are geared around feeling good in everything that we do. It has come to the place that if it can't, if we can't feel good, then we won't do it. And if it doesn't feel good, or even if it, if it does feel good, and the Bible speaks against it and says it is wrong, sometime, listen, we will have this mindset, well, as long as I feel good, and we'll justify it by saying it didn't hurt nobody, will justify it by saying I didn't cause anybody to stumble that I know of because as long as I feel good, <laughs> as long as my needs are met, as long as I can pacify my self-esteem issues, as long as I can do enough to make me feel good about myself, then it doesn't matter if I have an issue. It don't matter if the word of God speaks against my habit. As long as I feel good, baby. And this is a short-sighted view of this always the need to feel good. And really the need to feel good all the time, regardless of what it is, boils down to a shallow character and shallow commitment. Aren't you glad you're here on a rough Wednesday night? Even in the church these days, people want the church to make them feel good. And if the church don't make me feel good, I'm going to find a church that will. To settle only for a good feeling in our walk with God leaves us in a spiritually shallow condition at best, that we would settle for less than what God would have for us. I've learned in my short life that anything worth having is worth working for. If you don't invest in it, it's easy to walk away from it. If you've invested blood, sweat, and tears in something, it is hard to pull you from it. And this was the message of Palm Sunday because the crowds loved the miracles. They loved the miracle that Jesus had done in raising Lazarus from the dead, but what they did not like was the commitment calling Jesus. I like the miracle working Jesus, but I don't like this commitment calling Jesus calling me to accountability, making me line up, making me act right, make me get rid of my junk, make me get rid of my temper. Oh, it's quiet in here. Make me get rid of my long tongue. Make me get rid of vices and habits and addictions. And the Bible teaches us that celebration is not enough in worship. It is not enough in worship or in our walk with God. There must also be a commitment beyond the celebration. So I want to talk tonight about celebration believers. People who we would call celebration believers. And please don't be offended, but if you are offended, we will pray at the end of this service and cast the devil out of the person who's offended. Smile at me, I'm having fun tonight. But celebration believers have what I call a frivolous faith. You can jot that down in your notes. Jesus was becoming very popular. Isn't it amazing today, Uh, you ask somebody if they're a Christian, they're like, oh yes, I'm a Christian, and you know they live like hell. Oh yes, I'm a Christian, but they got all kinds of mess in their life. I know that's a bold statement, but I'm glad I said it because it made you listen. Jesus was very popular. The miracles that he was doing was calling people to, hey, did you hear about this? And they were very excited and celebratory when it came to the miracles, the great miracles, especially that recent miracle of Lazarus coming forth out of the grave. The dude has been dead four days. And Jesus calls him out of the grave. Miracles have the power to get people's attention. Miracles get people's attention and may even gather great crowds, but they don't necessarily make great converts or keep the crowd long. Because you can't just live on the celebration. While many people came to see Jesus, they also came to see Lazarus who had been dead for four days and now he's up walking around. He's there just Jesus' poster child for what a miracle looks like. He's walking tall in cotton. He's just walking around. And people are like, oh, that's Lazarus. He was raised from the dead. They hadn't come necessarily to hear the word of God. They came to be amazed and filled with wonder like many of us are. Well, there's nothing wrong with being filled with awe. There's nothing wrong with being filled with wonder. It's a part of our worship. We thank God for that. But there needs to be a move from the wonder to a willful commitment to the part of Christ. That I'm going to follow Jesus besides the miracles. Miracles are great. Miracles are wonderful. But I need to follow Jesus beyond the miracle. Because I'm a committed person. And just as in Jesus' day, it's all too easy to get so caught up in the spectacular and lose focus on Jesus Christ. The crowds lined the streets to welcome Jesus into their lives, but the reasons they did so were less than spiritual, because here's what they had hoped for. They were hoping that Jesus would be the king who would relieve them from Roman pressure, relieve them from high taxes. They wanted an easier lifestyle, not a call to be righteous, not a call to come out from among the world and be separate and be sanctified. They wanted him to relieve their burden, the burden of taxes, the burden of Roman rule. A king that can raise the dead could surely take care of all my needs. So we lined up to see this miracle walking Jesus. And I want to ask you, why did you become a Christian? Did you become a Christian so that you could get a blessing? Or did you become a Christian so you could be a blessing? There would have been nothing wrong with all the celebration if it had been followed up with a strong commitment of Jesus that the crowds who would welcome him on on the first part of the week would be the same people uh, that would say crucify him uh, at the end of the week. And if we're not careful in Christianity today, we can put too much emphasis on the celebration even in worship and not enough balance to the call of commandment commitment that is required for every Christ follower. I want you to look at your neighbor this time and tell tell them it is required that we follow him. When worship as a celebration becomes more important than the word of God, we are out of balance. It is out of balance for a worship team to lead us in worship. But when the word is being preached, they're hiding in a side room drinking coffee and carrying on conversations or the whole service they're in their phone on Facebook. That's out of order. Just as it would be out of order for me as the pastor when I want everyone to join me in praise and amens and an agreement with the word is when the worship team is leading in worship, I'm on the front row in my phone and yawning and not participating. And I want them to join with me, but I don't join with them. I've seen it many times over the years, preachers who have, you know, they pastor 10 people and they've got a posse of five people to protect them. They come in, they don't worship. They only come up and hoop when it's their time. But I'm telling you, there must be more than just a hoop and a celebration. There must be a real and raw commitment to live for Jesus Christ beyond the celebration, beyond the all and wonder of worship. It is not enough to come together just to celebrate. There's got to be a time and place for that. But there is so much more. People who have... Frivolous faith also or what I call fanfare followers. Jesus attempts to send them the right message when they line the streets to see him arrive. A conquering king usually rode in on a horse. It signified that they had won the war. They triumphed over their rivals and other nations and anyone that attempted to overthrow them, that they were the champion, they were the king. But Jesus' choice is to ride in on the foal of a donkey. That was deliberate. He rode in on the foal of a donkey, one that had never bore its burden. To ride in on a donkey spoke a message of peace. It spoke a message of humility, not that of a political king. And in all the celebration, Jesus sends them the right message with the donkey, but they were too busy celebrating with the palms and their garments that they missed the message altogether. And so they missed the message of commitment that Jesus wanted to teach. And even in a worship service, you can celebrate in worship and still not hear the word of the Lord. Today churches are filled with worshipers who have no problem worshiping if they've got the right beat and the right song. Oh my goodness, they will get up and dance and praise and I thank God for all of that and then they're excited about it but when they leave the worship service they go home and live in sin from week to week with no apparent desire to submit their life to the word of the Lord and the commandments of God. It is not a Enough to go to church just to feel good. And I'm going to say something here because I've seen some of our people. Come on now. I've seen people, when it's worship time, they would be like... Mm. And they praising and they're having a great time and thank God for it. And when the word is there like... Now, I'm not trying to get an amen from you. I'm just trying to get you to understand there is a balance where you have to dig down deep in commitment. And then there are some people, oh my goodness, I'm going to get in trouble. I've been to wedding receptions with some of our people. And a certain song, the DJ will play a certain song and people will be like... <clears throat> Watch out now. And they're out shaking everything that's, that's wiggling and jiggling. I mean, it's just, it's like, are you understanding what I'm saying? I've seen people do all that. They turn into a different person. It's like a spirit comes on them. They're like, mm, that's my jam. I'm like, that ain't, I thought you were Holy Ghost still. It, it, yeah. Don't let anybody leave ushers. Keep them in here. <laughs> I, I'm just trying to, be, I'm trying to get you to understand. It is more, you can't just come to worship services just so you can get your feel good. And too many Christians, they celebrate God without the effort of defeating Satan in their life. But you understand, they applauded the miracle worker, Jesus, but they were ready to abandon the commitment to call Jesus. So how deep is your commitment to Christ? Let's talk about not the celebration believers, but the committed believers. Committed believers are what I consider they are fruitful in their faith. A committed believer will have a fruitful faith. It's not enough just for you to be faithful. You have to be faithful long enough till you're fruitful, till you bear fruit. So I would ask every believer that's watching or here, la- what's the name of the last person you've led to Christ? When you were up jiggling and carrying on and getting your dance on. And you forgot about the real commitment where he said in Matthew 20, 19, 28, 19, and 20, to go you therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. So what is your commitment Is there a fruitful faith? Are you bearing fruit? Is there evidence of your fruit? Somebody said, you can't judge me, pastor. You don't know me like that. Yes, I do. We all do. The Bible said you will know a tree by the fruit it bears. In John chapter 12, as we read on in verse 20, the Bible said that some Greeks who had come to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration paid a visit to Philip, who was also a Greek, one of Jesus's twelve, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and they said, Sir, we want to meet Jesus. And King James' verse said, Sir, we, 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 we want to see Jesus. Philip told Andrew about it, and they went together to ask Jesus. And then we read of a different occasion in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 38. Look at this. One day, some teachers of religious law and Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we know we want you to show us a miraculous sign to prove your authority. Prove who you are by doing a miracle right here in front of us. So with the Jewish crowd, they were saying, we want a sign, Matthew 12. We need to see a sign before we believe. Because you know, the Bible said seeing is believing. No, it doesn't say that. (laughs) The Bible said now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not yet seen. We want to see a sign. Prove to me that you're a miracle. Let me tell you something. I don't have to defend this Bible. It will defend itself. It will preach all by itself. If you read it right, it'll read you. This Bible, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word, he said, will never pass away. So this Bible does not need to be defended. It doesn't even have to be debated. Now, I'm thankful for open debates and things like that, but I want you to understand, even if you believe not, his word still is true. It abides faithful, even if your intellectual millennial mind says, "Well, I just don't know if I can believe that. Even if you believe not, it is still true. The word of God cannot lie. It is inerrant. It cannot lie. It is infallible. So you have the Jewish crowd saying, "We seek a sign in Matthew 12:38, and then the Gentiles came filled with some Greeks and they said, we seek a savior, we want to see Jesus. And Jesus' own people were lost in what we know was sensationalism. But here there's these outsiders who are hungry to find a savior. We want to see Jesus. I know we're in a pandemic, but man, when those doors open, I, I mean, I, we're so close to the end, I don't want anything in this world to keep me hindered would it be tragic if Christians were satisfied just to be celebrators of Christ's salvation while the Word never hears anything come out of our mouth about salvation? I can't just be satisfied that I'm saved. I have a responsibility and a commitment to Jesus Christ to share the gospel in whatever tool and whatever bait and whatever way that I can bring someone to the name of Jesus outside of sin. I must employ those methods and get people to the cross. It is a commitment. I must move beyond just my experience and share Jesus. So again, I ask you, what is the name of the last person you have personally led to Jesus and discipled? These Greeks were seeking Jesus, and the word for see in this text has the meaning of to interview. They wanted to interview Jesus. They wanted to get to know him, and they chose Philip because his name was a Greek name, and so was, uh, it was easy to approach him. But they wanted to talk to Jesus, not just to celebrate his miraculous powers, but they wanted to interview. And no doubt, John included these few verses in this passage uh, uh, that, that are in contrast with the desire of, of those Jewish brethren to show that Jesus came to save everybody, Jew and Gentile, that it doesn't matter where you came from, it don't matter what color of skin you have, it don't matter what your upbringing, it don't matter if you west side east side, north side, south side, he wanted to save all that were lost and Jesus would not be sidetracked by all the celebration he wanted to meet with them and talk with them and explain to them my kingdom is not of this world I'm ushering in a dispensation of grace Face. I will shut the door on the old but I'll walk through it to bring you the new I want you to understand you won't have to keep the law the law was there to convict you of sin but I have come and the Holy Ghost will move into you and he will lead you in all truth what the law was not able to do the blood of Jesus will satisfy he is the fulfillment of the law. And so it's all plain to see that some came to see the miracle and some just wanted to see him. And so I say it is possible to have a wonderful celebrating worship experience and still miss hearing him. Are you here? And so, I would say that these believers turned into faithful followers. Now, I say that because in John chapter 12, verse 23, the Bible says, Jesus replied. <laughs> now listen, if at, all the way up in John 12 here, this, is, this dialogue's happening. All these things are happening. Jesus had a message. And he was going to deliver it. He was going to make good on his message, Sister Jane. He was going to deliver it. And he says, now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone, but its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives, Those who love their life in this world will lose it. And those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am. And the Father will honor anyone who serves me. And it's after all the shouts of praise and the worship from the crowd Jesus finally speaks. Now catch this. It's not a call to further the celebration. He didn't say, ask the ushers to get the refreshments ready. (laughs) Slip on out during the altar call. Get it ready for the people. (laughs) It was not to be another celebration. He was calling them to commitment. (laughs) It's a call about dying to yourself. It's hard. It's a hard word tonight. It's a message about sacrifice, a message about salvation, a message about spiritual salvation, not poli- not politics, not nationalism. He's not talking about anything except for the saving of the soul and the dying of the flesh. And he, can, he equates it to himself. I'm going to put the, put the kernel in the ground and it'll die but it'll bring forth. And so the message was a call to come and serve Christ. To follow him. Don't just celebrate him. Follow him. And it may have been his message that probably killed the celebration. Have you ever heard somebody get him speaking after their. I mean, everybody's in the like, I remember I was at the, at the jail ministry one time and we had the Bethel Bethel Family Worship Center. We had all gone over to the jail in Plainfield and we were preaching Jesus and we were, we brought in music, and I mean it was quite a it was quite an undertaking to get all that stuff in there and because they had to scan everybody and scan everything. And it was like, and you know, the ladies that weren't with us, they like, stay close, stay close. Because <laughs> I'm telling you, when you go into awkward, maybe a situation you've not been in before. <laughs> and we went in there and this one brother in our church was up there preaching and he was speaking and he was talking about, God can heal and God can deliver. And I mean, he got in a big way. And my faith was, I mean, we were all on the edge of our seat. And, and he said, and, can't, and and then he said, but she didn't die of a heart attack. She died of cancer. <laughs> and I was like, wah, wah. <laughs> he had us all, all built up in faith. I am about to run around that place. <laughs> and it was just the way it came out. Everybody went, you know, have you ever had somebody get in the mic it's like at that very moment and then they like kill the whole thing and then you have some people I've seen it in church and, and, and the people start getting nervous there's always somebody say bless them Lord bless him, Lord we don't know what else to say when Jesus starts talking about commitment he kills the celebration and the crowds head home You know how I know they head home? Where was the crowd at Calvary? They was at home watching Netflix. Getting ready for the holiday weekend. They weren't at the cross. Only a few faithful were at the cross. The Bible says standing near the cross was Jesus' mother and his mother's sister. Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And of course, there was only one disciple left at the cross. His name was John. The Crowds had been fascinated with Jesus, but they had not fixed their heart on him. A lot of people come to our church or come to any church. They're caught up, you know. Some people want to go to a church where there's no requirement, no accountability, no one to say, why aren't you where you should be? I want to go in late, leave early, serve nowhere, and live my best life. Fascinated with Jesus, but their heart is not fixed on him. And the same crowd had so easily celebrated Jesus at his entrance, but the same crowd is crying by the end of the week, crucify him days later, and they deliver him into the hands of the Romans. And Jesus instead, he called them to repent of their sins and accept him as their Savior. And he tries to get them to focus on the right thing. And even Jesus' disciples, in large measure, had missed the meaning of Christ's message and his calling until after he appeared to them in his resurrected body. They had followed him and they would seen the miracles and some of them had performed the miracles with Jesus. Remember when Jesus said to them, don't rejoice that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice that your name is written down in heaven? You can become so easily enamored with the spectacular that you miss the spiritual. What is Jesus really saying? And no doubt this coming Sunday... Churches all across America are going to be flooded with people. But the next week, attendance will go back to where it was. Are you here? Worship is much bigger than just celebration. It's commitment. It's commitment. We need more than a holiday faith. We need a holy day faith. We need that type of faith where we worship Jesus in celebration, but we also worship him in our living, in our commitment. I want you to stand, if you will, for a moment. Remember when I told you that our society is obsessed with feeling good? I gotta feel good. If, I, if it makes me feel good, I'm in. But the slight... Discomfort. The slight call to accountability. The slight sign me up, I'll serve where needed. Makes people uncomfortable. I wasn't raised like that. My mom and daddy got saved out of sin. My dad was a hellion. Lived in sin. Until he was gloriously saved. Him and my mother, when they gave their heart to Jesus Christ, my dad was raised free will Baptist. My mom was raised old regular Baptist. They gave their life to Jesus in a Pentecostal church. (laughs) Woo, scared them to death. Man, we need the heart of a Baptist and the spirit of a Pentecostal. And I dare say, please don't quote me on this, the feet of a Jehovah's Witness. We need, come on, somebody smile at me. We need. <laughs> punch your neighbor and say, that's it right there. That's what we need. We need that. <laughs> Where are my Baptist folks at? Come on now. That's how my people were raised. A lot of my family Baptists. But well, what I'm saying to you is they, after they gave their heart to Jesus Christ, I mean, they got gloriously saved. My dad, he quit all his, all his sinning. I'm not saying they never sinned again. I'm just saying all the habits that were external, you know. There's things that people do that nobody can see. But, but he, he, he began to lead the family, and he led our family in faith. My daddy... And my mom raised us to know the Lord. They, they led us to Jesus. My mother led me to Christ when I was eight years old on the second floor of our house in my sister's bedroom. She was folding laundry and she had asked me to come in there and help her. And I don't know why I had an attitude at eight. A much different time, by the way. Would you agree that times have accelerated? Now we've got two-year-olds that have iPads and cell phones and come on, have their own flat screen TV. <laughs> come on, somebody smile. Not that, no. No, we didn't have none of that. Daddy led us to the Lord. And my mom, I remember I come home from school and she said, I need your help up here and I was helping her fold laundry and she said something and I smarted off at her and you just didn't smart off my mother she had a, a backhand a fore, forearm she had a switch a paddle a belt a shoe come on somebody I heard, heard somebody testifying over here amen you're all up in my story amen you've been there And my mother, she, you know, I learned, you just don't talk back. You say, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. You know what my mama did? She laid hands on me and started casting the devil out of me. I was eight. I mean, she started casting the devil out of me. She said, in the name of Jesus, you will not my boy you a the devil you a liar she prayed on me and you know what I was doing at eight? I was like <laughs> but there's something about the touch of God that the more she prayed I begin to melt I'm going to ask you how long has it been since your stony heart since your overly opinionated critical spirit began to weep in God's presence one touch from God you can tell when people have been on their face in prayer. One touch of God will change everything. And I melted right there. And she led me to the Lord. She had me repeat the sinner's prayer. And I'm telling you, I felt victory. I mean, I felt all the sins of my life have just just got off of me. And then, I, you know, I look back and I think, how much sinning had I done? I was eight. But that's what happens when the load lifts. My spirit became illuminated. Whew. I mean, I had prayed in vacation Bible school. I got saved every Sunday in Sunday school class because if you memorize a the scripture, they gave you a candy bar. And I mean, I was getting saved. They say, anybody want to raise, raise your hand if you want to? I got saved every week. But when I really got saved was at that moment when she was casting every devil hell off my mind. I said, you devil, you will not have my boy. God saved me. And I remember going to school the next day. I didn't get one paddle. Back in the day when I was in elementary, they'd paddle you. They would take a ruler. They'd tell you to hold your hand out. And they would, they would slap your hand Not one SWAT, not one paddle, not one pink slip, not one detention. And I came home from school that next day so full of joy that I remember what I felt like. And I said, Mom, is this what it means to be saved? God saved me. Saved me. I needed saved. I needed to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. I couldn't just go to church anymore and just have celebration time. Playing in the pew with my Hot Wheels and my Star Wars figures and all that while the, the saints were all shouting and carrying on and preaching and Holy Ghost three or four week revivals every night and me not change I mean I had seen the power of God I had seen what they saw, the miracle power of God, Lazarus, there he is there he is but I didn't know him for myself You have to know Him for yourself. To follow Him past celebration and follow Him into commitment, this is where you have to get rid of all the feels. Because you won't always feel like it. Serving and living for God is not about your feeling. It is about your faith. And trusting God. And I have a hope in Christ, Brother Delane, that God is with me. And He's got me by the hand. And He's going to lead me sometimes in... Uncharted territory. He's gonna lead me in places that I cannot see, but I will continue to hold to his hand. Does anybody here tonight would say I'll follow you, Jesus? If that's you, just slip your hand up. If everybody in the room that says I'll follow you, Jesus, to commitment, I will follow you. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center.